Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our executive pastor, Pastor Brandon McPherson, with this week's sermon. As Pastor Greg read uh, from the Puritans, I adore you for making me capable of knowing you. That is essentially going to be the theme of what we're going to be uh, covering, and that's that should have been Jonah's attitude. Had there, I like to think, had there been a chapter five, uh, that might have been what he had said, but maybe we'll know in heaven. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter two, and we'll get ready to read that here. In just a moment, Pastor Greg left us at a bit of a cliffhanger last week. Um, sorry, I wasn't able to make it, but we—I listened to it and and heard. And at the very end, you know, if you don't know the story, I'm always capable of 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 saying, and you know how the story goes, because I've met some people and they're like, Jonah, that's the guy that built the ark, right? And uh, no, it's so uh, Jonah. At this point, last week, we had ended with Jonah now in the fi- in the belly of this fish. And I don't know if you uh, have a good imagination. Sometimes mine's a bit overactive. But can you imagine for a moment being inside of a fish for three days? We can all imagine what it's like to be quarantined for three days. And that is miserable, even having Netflix, right? And Jonah is here in this fish for three days. And so um, let's read. Let's get ready to read uh, Jonah chapter 2. If you would, will you stand with me? To honor God's word this morning. And we'll just read the whole chapter here together this morning. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas. And the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and I prayed, and and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope to steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay, because salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry ground. This is God's word. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book that is uh, amazing and perplexing, but edifying. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be what it would do today in our hearts, that it would edify your people, that we would hear this word, take these things, and do as you have commanded us, that we would rest in the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, and yet we would still go and do. So we thank you for your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You may be seated this morning. I don't know about you, but my relationship with the Lord has looked a little like this. I have had moments where I've, where I've felt very near to the Lord, and things have been going great, and I feel, uh, I can like feel like I'm in His Word, and I'm understanding His Word, and I actually want to pray, and I want to hear worship music. You've been there? And then, without, without any sort of notice or any sort of reason, I feel that I have drifted away from the Lord at times, and then I'll have to kind of regain my thought and have to come back. And so, my life probably like all of yours, has looked a little like this at times with the Lord as far as I feel near Him, or then at other times I feel away from Him. And we don't have to feel discouraged by those thoughts because even David, a man after God's own heart, went through these exact same ups and downs, this roller coaster of saying, God, you are so near me that I can sense you in this room. And then at other times, God, do you even exist? You feel this way? Well, in just four chapters in the book of Jonah, Jonah is going to go on a roller coaster of emotions, of feeling far from the Lord, trying to actually get away from the Lord, to then feeling near and then far and then near. It's a really strange book, and you'll see in a couple of weeks it has a strange ending of just, what? Like, it's over? And this is the life of, of Jonah is that you see that he has felt near him and then close and then back and forth. And you can even look in the Old Testament, and Israel is a great example of this, of, of being near the Lord and in um, God is our father and then being away from him and wanting another God that they could worship. And so last week we, we looked at the text, look again at Genesis, or sorry, Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 and it says, this was sort of where we left off, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now picture being those men on that boat with Jonah. And, uh, you know, I've never, I've been on a boat, but I've never been on a boat during a storm. And I can imagine how terrifying it would be just because it's terrifying to be on a boat in the first place. And so they're on this boat and who knows what that exactly looks like, but we know that it's uh, tumultuous, that it's dangerous, that it's scary, that the sky is uh, probably dark and the waves are fierce. And here they are. And this man, Jonah, says, I am the reason for this. And then the men do something that even in their own minds was unthinkable. They had to take this man and throw him off the boat to his certain death. So imagine being these men. And the guy's like, you this storm? And they're like, yeah, we're going to die. And he's like, it's my fault. I mean, and I, I don't know what that conversation, we kind of know what that conversation looked like, but it had to have been strange. And then throwing him over and then seeing the waves begin to calm had to have been even stranger. And I like to think that this ginormous fish from a distance, the men could see coming up and just being like, man, God really hates this guy, right? Like not only is the storm going to get him, but Jaws is going to take care of this man. God hates this man. That's what I would think if I were on that boat and I saw that giant fish. I would much rather drown than be eaten by a fish. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But anyways, you can imagine the, the fear that these men must have felt and the fear that Jonah must have felt as well. I like to, do you remember the story of in Acts when Paul is um, shipwrecked 
and things have been awful and he's been running for his life and he gets shipwrecked and then he uh, is on this island and the people greet him and things finally seem to be taking a turn for Paul in his life. And then do you remember that there's a fire that he helped build? I love that, that text that he helps build that fire with the people and they're on the beach and Paul builds this fire and he finally has a time that he can get warm and relax. He gets close to the fire and I just he's rubbing his hands probably. He's over the fire. And then what happens? A viper shoots out of the fire and attacks this man, <laughs> right? It's just like when it rains, it pours. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like life is just, you know, if one more bad thing happens and then you're like, I wish I hadn't said that because another thing just kind of comes against you and it just hits you. And so, you know, the cliche of uh, when it rains, it pours, it can be applied in many places in our lives and even many places throughout Scripture. But I think it actually, it actually isn't applied well in this story. And we can see our text to, to see. I, I think that it, this text has actually been mispreached often. And I've even guilty of mispreaching, and I believe myself. And because as we look at Jonah chapter 2, look again at verse 1 and 2. And then it says, and then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, and he said this, I called, past tense, out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So it's important that we understand as we're looking at this text and as we're reading chapter 2, which is just a prayer. That's all chapter 2 is, even though I, I could preach on it easily for, for hours. But it's important for us as while we read this chapter 2 that we have the perspective and the understanding that Jonah, Jonah's prayer is not a request to be saved from the fish. Rather, it's a prayer of thanksgiving for being saved by the fish. Okay, so it's not Jonah and the fish saying, God, save me from this. It's Jonah and the fish saying, you have saved me by this. It's Jonah uh, acknowledging, he, he, he quotes David, who a hundred years before had said in Psalm 30 that he had, he had cried out to God and said, God, save me from the pit of Sheol. And, and Jonah is in that same type of despair. Psalm 30 is the, the darkness is in the night and the joy comes in the morning. Jonah was reminded of this in that moment. I think there's a lot of lessons that can be taken from chapter 2, but this morning I want to just go over four lessons that I think can be adequately applied from the text and useful in our own lives. And lesson number one that we have to remain focused on as Christians is that as Christians, we must have a Christian perspective. At the end of chapter 2, you see that Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. That is simple. And every lesson that we're going, to, to, we're going to uncover here in chapter 2 is as simple as it gets. But it's something that we need to be reminded of, that Jonah had to be reminded of, and that it actually needs to stick in our lives. And so lesson number one that can be taken is that Christians must have a Christian perspective. That it is our identity. The scripture is clear that, it, that Christians, when you are born again, are given a new lens in which you can see not only the scripture, but one another and the world in and of itself. Isaiah 44, 18 would say this, that they know not, talking of the unbelievers, 
that they know not, nor do they discern. For he, God, has shut their eyes so they cannot see and their hearts so they cannot understand. So if you had any qualms or, or frustrations about God's elector, election of a calling and you just think, well, God wouldn't actually shut the hearts or the eyes of those that don't see him. The scripture is clear that they cannot see because God has said you cannot see. They cannot hear because their hearts have not been opened. They cannot understand because God hasn't given them the gift of understanding. That's why the Puritan could clearly say, I adore you for making me capable of knowing you. We worship God today. We worship God this morning because not because we chose to be here or chose to serve him, but rather he first chose us. And yes, we get to respond and praise God that we have the ability to respond. But Jonah is here in this fish praising God for something that only God could do. This morning as you worship, you should praise God because you are at that moment doing something that the scripture would say is supernatural. You can't do this on your own. You can't even sit here right now and listen to this sermon with a heart, without a hard heart, without the act of the Holy Spirit. So we praise God that we not only get to hear God's word, but that we actually get to hear those who have ears to hear, let him hear. When the scripture says that, he's speaking to the people who have been given the ability to understand. And so as Christians, you have been given the ability of perspective. And our flesh will so often try to remove that perspective of, of God's goodness or remove God, or the perspective that God's given us of the world. We'll, we'll adapt to a, an unbelieving worldview. We'll adapt to a thought that, that if, if this virus takes us out, this is all that we've got. Or if this happens or if I can't pay the bills, then, then I'm going to lose everything. And if we're not careful, we'll so quickly slip into a worldview mindset, a worldview perspective of this is our only hope. That my savings account, my 401k, my children's health, my, my career, my wife, all of those things, what I watch on TV, all of those things, those are my, that is my hope. This story is certainly a foolish story to the world, isn't it? This is a foolish story to those who, who don't understand what's happening in this story. And as Pastor Greg last week mentioned, this is not an allegory story. This isn't just a, this isn't, a, as he said, a parable. This isn't some sort of thing that we can just get a, a, a life lesson from. This is God's word, and it's true. Christians should be the most stable people on planet Earth. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we should be the ones that everyone is able to look to and say, what is it about that person that makes that person so stable? And then we, with a humility, should be able to say, it is only through Christ alone that I am able to be still amidst the storm. And so this, this story, it only all the more confirms God's sovereignty and election and in calling. And the body of Christ is and must look at the world the way that God gifts his people to, to look at the world. It is a gift that we get the perspective of the world that we have. It is a gift to the Christian that we can, look at, we can look at someone despite their political views, despite their financial state, despite their, their upbringing, their race, despite anything. It is the Christian who can look at any person and say, the Omago Day, and love that man. 
Love that woman. Love that child. It is the Christian who gets this gift of sight that the rest of the world just simply is not given. Let's continue. Look at verse 3. So in verse 1 and 2, Jonah gives us sort of an overview of what the prayer is to look like. And then verse 3 through 6, we see a breakdown of what was actually happening outside of the belly of this fish, that, that we're going to see this picture of Jonah essentially being cast into the, to the sea and the waves uh, tumbling him in the water down to the, to the bottom of the, the seabed, being wrapped up in seaweed and weeds and whatever it looks like. And so he says in verse 3, For you cast me, you cast me. Notice it was the fisherman who cast him, but Jonah knows better. Jonah knows this is God's plan, that, that what, you, what these men did to me, this was all in God's plan. He knew that God was sovereign, and ultimately he knew he couldn't run from God. I actually think that he knew that before he even took off for Tarshish. Like, he knew, like, this isn't a God I can run from. And yet, he tried anyways, which is classic everyone, right? It's classic you. Like, I know I can't run from you, but I'm going to anyways. Classic me. So, verse 3, for you cast me into the deep... Into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look, yet, yet I shall again look upon your temple, your holy temple. And the waters closed in over me to take my life and the deep surrounded me. Weeps, weeds were wrapped around uh, my head and the roots of the mountain. And I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, uh, sorry, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. This is Jonah, again, with gratitude, with rejoicing, saying, God, I was in this despair. I was in, he was knocking on the gates of hell, is what he's saying. I was there in that moment, the bars, this was a, a Hebrew thing of understanding that this was something you didn't want to go into, but people passed through into Sheol, and he was saying that in this state, this is where I feel that I'm at. And yet we see this awful moment of being tossed into the sea and then what many would perceive as an even more awful moment of being swallowed by a fish. And yet, again, a Christian's perspective is what Jonah had and the faith that he had in this moment. If Jonah could have his way, he would have wished that only chapter 2 existed in the scripture because it is definitely his moment of Glory, you know, I guess it's, his, it's the best chapter that we have of Jonah because it's a bit downhill <laughs> from there. But this is the lesson that we can learn from, from verses 3 through 6 that I think is important. And again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to reiterate something that you know so well, but that you do so poorly. And I do as well. And that is Christians must have faith during times when faith is actually needed. Because it's easy. Don't you love just telling someone to just, just have some faith? Like, look, I've went through the same stuff. It's so easy to come through the storm and say, you just got to have faith, you know? But when you're actually in it and you're actually in the midst of it and you're on that boat and you, you Jonah actually thought he was going to die in that moment because he, why wouldn't he? It's hard to have faith. Jonah is showing extreme faith during this time. And sure, I, I, I would say without a doubt, he has a mixture of faith and, and definitely uncertainty. And I think it's important that uncertainty of the future and faith do not contradict one another. Just because you have faith doesn't mean that you're not trembling. 
right? Just because you have faith doesn't mean you don't know what tomorrow is going to have. Just because you have faith doesn't mean that you're going to fall down on your knees in the bedroom with your wife and you're both going to weep over your children. That doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. And so maybe you're struggling to have faith. Maybe there's an area of your life that you are truly struggling, that there is one situation that seems absolutely impossible. I don't know about you, but I would think being tossed off of a boat and the boat continuing on and the storm all of a sudden stopping, confirming that God was angry at you, is pretty big evidence that you're about to die, right? Like this is over for me. And yet faith was needed. It takes faith to walk with the Lord. It takes faith to raise a family. It takes faith to be a husband. It takes faith to be a wife. Well, to be a good husband or a good wife. It even takes faith to believe the story. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've really struggled with the authenticity of this thing. Like a fish, like a man, a grown man, like how small was Jonah? You know, uh, you know the, these are the thoughts that I would have, that I would wrestle with. And something that if you are struggling with this story, let me just point you to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. And it says this, Jesus, by the way, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he, Jesus, answered them and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I believe the story of Jonah because Jesus believed the story of Jonah, and he was no fool. Jesus brought to the attention the people who sought signs, and he said, this is the story that I want you to look at, and I want you to see the impossibility of it, and yet God did something miraculous. If you can't believe in the cross of Christ, you can't believe in this story. I believe in this story. I believe that he, that, that he was swallowed by a fish because Jesus believed he was swallowed by a fish. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, was God in the flesh, walked on water, died on a cross, and came back to life. And God's people can say amen to that, or we're supposed to, but the rest of the world can point and laugh at us because it's foolishness. And God's word says it would be to the unbeliever. And so if you struggle with Jonah, I'm just going to put this out there. You might actually just be struggling with Jesus. Because the world could get on board with Jonah, the story of Jonah, far quicker than they could Jesus. The world didn't crucify Jonah. And so we see this this struggle. And the, the, the issue or the lesson that is to be learned in the life of the believer is that you, we, us, all of us must have faith when things seem impossible. We haven't been met with it yet as a church, but I promise you, we are going to come up against walls that, that me as your pastor, Greg as your pastor, you as a member are going to feel like Mosaic will never be able to accomplish this. We will hit these roads, and, we, and I pray that we do. It shouldn't just be everything is just peachy keen all the time and we always have the perfect place and everything is wonderful and everything, you know. I mean, think of what we've already gone through. Everything has worked out wonderfully. (laughs) Even in a pandemic, God has been just so merciful. I mean, there are churches far greater than us that are really struggling. And here we are just 
just trucking along. God's hand is on us, but there's going to be moments where God's going to say, okay, Mosaic, do you have faith? You've been talking a lot about it. So as believers, we must have faith. We must trust God when things seem like it's impossible. Look at verse 7. And when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and I prayed and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. For salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. This is Jonah coming to a clear understanding of his depravity, his, his need of salvation, his understanding that he is a sinner that needs to repent. My, big, I, my biggest takeaway from last week's sermon was when Pastor Greg says that there is no such thing as a Christian who continues in unrepentant sin. And that really spoke to me because it is so true. And why, and why did that, when, when that was said, why did that hit me like it was controversial? Because we don't want to be told that, like, if, that if there's something that's actually wrong in your life, that you need to make these big changes. We just want to believe that we can continue to walk in our sin and that things will be okay and that we won't be addressed. And so in verses 7 through 10, we see another lesson that has uh, been given to us by the grace of God, and that is that Christians have to lay down idols lest they forsake their hope. They have, to, they have to be able to set aside the things that are not, that they have to set aside the thing that's not necessarily primary and, and, and set those things aside so they can focus on what actually matters. God addresses this, even in Revelation, God addresses this kind of attitude. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up, for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And he's talking to the, the church of Ephesus here, and he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you, and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What God is saying then is what he is still saying today, and that is get back to your first love. Repent. Do those things that you used to do when you first were over in love with, with who God was. The first date that Kelsey and I ever went on, I was a wreck. I was so nervous. And I got to tell you, I was already madly in love with her. And I had, I, it was our first date. And I was already, the same story as what Greg had with Ashley. Like, I knew this is it. This is who I'm going to marry. I'm so in love with her. And we're sitting across this, at, the, at this table. We're at the nicest restaurant you could ever imagine. First date, Oh Charlie's. We're sitting there and we're sitting at the table across from each other. And she gets this salad delivered to her. And, and she just looks at the salad and she looks at me. And this is just Kelsey for you. She says, would you mind cutting my salad up for me before I eat this? And I was just like, 
like, yes. And so I grab it and I'm not joking. Salad's going all over the table. I'm shaking. I'm trembling in front of it. But there is something about those beginning stages of, you know, they just, you know, when your girl just like puts her arm around you and all of a sudden you're getting butterflies and you're like, though looking down the road now, looking back at those moments, you realize that Life has to go on, and, and we don't feel those giddy little feelings as much anymore, but there needs to be something in all of us that are in those, in marriage at least, that can look back at the beginning stages with, with joy and with, uh, with a smile on our face and say, I remember that moment, and it should spark something in us to love our spouse more deeply today. It won't look like it what it looked like, but it can, and it, it may not even feel what it felt like, but it can at least be a, a, a memory of, of where we want to go, how I want to get back to that. Do you remember worshiping the Lord in service one day with your, maybe your hands were raised and maybe there was tears going down your eyes and you were just, there was something that was happening in that moment that you just knew like, I am connected to the Lord, that he, that he has called me, that he loves me. You ever, I mean, I don't know about you, but have you ever, you ever knelt down at an altar and wept? Like really weeped, like weeped because of your sin or weeped because of, of your joy. And like really before the Lord, you fall down before him and you're weeping. God is saying, get back to that moment. Get back to, to, to thinking that way of looking at that is the same God, that the same God that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob served. That is our God. And yet it's so easy to abandon our first love. In fact, in, in turn, we just become addicted to that feeling. And that's how so many marriages end. Because, you know, those first love feelings have left. And so we just find someone else that we can have a first love with. And for some of us, we get so connected with the Lord. And then those goosebumps go away. And we're just like, you know, God, you know, things were great when, like, you weren't calling me to Nineveh. That's what Jonah could say. Like, he was a prophet. He, this guy was doing fantastic until God decided to say, I want you to go to, you know, Iraq, and I want you to preach Jesus. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not standing out on those streets. But how easy it is for us to abandon our first love. How easy it is for us to put money, careers, hobbies before the Lord. And even more challenging, how easy it is for us to uh, put our spouse before the Lord, or put our children before the Lord, or put ministry before the Lord. Good things. You should be a good husband. You should be a good wife. You should be a good mother, father. You should be a good member of the body of Christ. But I've seen plenty of people, and I've been guilty myself, who are far better at just greeting people and putting together uh, nice little things, packages, or putting together an event, or, or putting together a sermon if I'm not careful, I can fall in love with the process of, preach, of writing a sermon and preaching a sermon than I can in the process of loving the God of whom I'm preaching. So pay attention. We have to forsake our idols. We have to focus on our first love. We have to focus on the thing that actually gives us hope. Be on guard. Look at verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. For salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a key verse. There are, there are guys, well, I'll just share this with you. Tim Keller says this about this text. He says, when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh for the first time, Jonah ran in the other direction. He says, I believe the reason that he did not want... 
uh, did not want to go is because he did not have pity on them. It was not only that, but it was also because he did not sufficiently realize that he, he was nothing but a sinner saved by sheer grace. So he ran away from God, and you know the rest of the story, that he cast him into the deep, and he was saved by God from drowning by being swallowed by a great fish. Tim Keller continues and says, We see Jonah praying, and his prayer ends in the phrase, Salvation is of the Lord. And then Keller talks about his old teacher, Ed Clown, and he used to say that it was the central verse of the Bible, that it was an expression of the gospel, that salvation is from and from the Lord alone, no one else, period. That self-righteousness is not my salvation. That salvation is from the Lord. But as a prophet, doesn't Jonah know this? Keller says. And he continues and says he knows it. And yet he doesn't know it at all. The other lesson that I think that we can grab from this is simply salvation belongs to the Lord. That it is the salvation that you, that you possess. It is from God alone. That you did nothing on your own. And so for Jonah to look at a city of people who are different than him, who are evil, who did all those things, and think that he doesn't belong in that city himself prior to God, is foolishness. You go to Haiti and you see someone doing witchcraft on the street, that's you before Christ. That's no different than you. That's just a sinner in need of grace. You are no different. The guy that's out gangbanging in the streets, that's shooting up homes and, and doing awful things and, and breaking laws, that's you prior to Christ. Yes, our sin plays out differently, and some, for some of us, we can really cover it up well, and we can be a, a law-abiding citizen with a good reputation, and people think highly of you, and you're a great husband and father and all of these things, but you are nothing Without Christ, you are lost and you are in need of a Savior. Martin Luther once said, The purpose of ministry is not only to make the gospel clear, but it's to beat it into the people's heads continuously and into your own. And another side quote of a great theologian, Post Malone. He says, there's no way I could save you because I need to be saved too. And I listened to that song and I was like, thanks, man. I'm adding that to my sermon this Sunday. I could never save you because I can't even save myself. You want to look at mothers, you want to look at your children and, 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 and think that I need, to, I need to be the one that saves them. You can't even save yourself. This isn't a you're on a flight and secure your face mask before securing someone else's. This isn't how it works. You had to have someone come over to you and resuscitate you in your seat. It wasn't just grab the oxygen. It was get him on life support. Like, let's pop this guy back up. He's dead. And so when Jonah said that salvation belongs to the Lord, he wasn't just learning these words. He was learning what these words actually meant. That Jonah in that moment realized, I got nothing. I was just tossed in water. And, and I don't even know if he knew. I mean, he knew he was in something. But I mean, here he was, you know. I couldn't have done this at all without him. I 
As Christians, we should never stop acknowledging our depravity and our, our need for a Savior. If you think that you have moved on from sin, you are in sin. If you think that you, if you've just got this figured out and, you know, man, it's been, I had a guy tell me this one time. I'm not even joking. I'm not even, you're going to think I'm joking. I'm not even joking. We were at a church. I was in St. Louis. He came up to the altar. I promise you, I asked him how he could pray for me. He said, man, he said, I feel like I've been tempted recently. I was like, okay, man, well, that's definitely, he's like, and I got to be honest with you. I haven't, I haven't sinned in three years and I just don't want to. And I was like, yeah, man, I don't want you to do that either, man. I didn't realize I was standing next to Jesus. You know, three years, that's pretty good. It was a misunderstanding. And I didn't have the words to say that then. I was impressed because I thought I was probably at like month three or four myself. <laughs> you know, I want to be like that guy. Christians, we can't, we should never stop acknowledging that we are in constant need of a Savior. We're not just, we don't just need to be saved from the awful things we did when we were 17 years old. You don't need to be saved from your past. You need to be saved from right now. And so the next step is for us to confess that we need a Savior and to trust Him for our salvation. That we trust Him. That you should continually trust Him for your salvation. Every day, you should trust God that He has saved you. I, I, I wrestle with doubting that at times, so I know you have to, of, of wondering, like, God, have you really saved me? So we need to trust him. And when we trust him, there will be fruit, because chapter 2 just bleeds right into chapter 3. And chapter 3 says this, with Pastor Greg's permission, because I'm not overstepping his sermon next week. Chapter 3 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, the God of second chances and more. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against, the message, uh, call out against it the message that I tell you. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. This is good news. This is not just him. He didn't just hang out in that fish forever, and the fish didn't just spit him up onto the beach and and he just got killed by you know tribal people what happened was he got sent on the beach and he was put on a mission and so there is fruit in the salvation of the lord that if you have been saved and you're still sitting in the fish it's time to figure out a way to make that dude vomit yep you know and and in other words get to work that god is the god of salvation that is by him alone. And so as I get ready to close, I want to acknowledge that I think that there's probably three different types of people in this room. I would say that there are people that may have not grasped their own depravity. And so if that's you, then maybe the thought of hell might frustrate you, that, you, that what you get from God is what you are owed that the gospel will actually never be great news to you because you don't know what it, you're, what's good news if you don't know what's coming, like what's been, you know? I mean, what's good news? It's going to be good news when life as we know it right now kind of gets back to a little bit more normal. It's going to be good news when I can go into a ball stadium and watch a ball game again, you know what I'm saying? That's going to be good news. Why is that good news? Because I know what it's like to not have that. <laughs> I go to a stadium every single year. I never went to a stadium before thanking God that I get to sit at this seat. But I guarantee you for the rest of my life, when I sit down with my hot dog and I sit down and I'm watching my Atlanta Braves play, I'm going to be extra thankful. 
And so if you don't recognize your depravity, you will never know the gospel as good news. If you grew up in church and, and you've just been told of how good you are, let me just state this this morning. You are not good. If you feel that you need the gospel or that you don't need the gospel, but rather you deserve it, then you would fall into this category. We are not inherently good. We are made good through Christ. The other person that might could be here is that you do realize how sinful you are. And this is the, the pay attention. You do realize how sinful you are and you are just too bad. I've just done too much. You, you hear people like, I mean, I, I talk with people like, like this all the time. And I know that that sounds really humble, like I've done, I've done just too much. But really, it's, it's kind of pride that, that you would at any point think of something this outrageous to believe that your sin outweighs God's grace and that you'll just continue to remain as a victim. Let me just tell you, Christian, listen to me. If you're a Christian, listen to me. I don't care what you have done in your past. God has saved you from it. I don't care what shame you have ever felt, what you have done, what you have participated in, who you have run over, whose lives you have destroyed. It is by God's grace that you are here and that you can say, I am his. And so dwelling on your past sin and believing that God can't forgive you of it is, simply put, poor theology. And then finally, the other person, that the gospel has fallen when it's fallen in you and you understand it, then praise God for that. If you, if you know like, hey, I, I, I am so depraved and I am wicked and yet I need a Savior and Christ is that Savior and I rest in that. But I want to encourage you if that's you and I want to say that you can always fall deeper. That there is always something more of God that he has for you. That there is always a level of, of understanding Jesus that, that he will allow us to always accept in love. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let me leave you with this last sentence and then we'll pray. But I need you to hear this. The gospel, the gospel is our hope. It is our first love. Listen to me. It is our first love. And it is the gospel. It is salvation that belongs to the Lord. And it is his gift to us. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RBA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.